Welcome to PeopleTech, the podcast of the HCM Technology Report. I'm Mark Pfeffer. My guest today is Doug Seegers, Head of Original Content at Cornerstone On Demand. A well-known vendor in the HCM technology space, Cornerstone has been emphasizing its expertise with content as part of its value proposition. We'll talk about that journey on this edition of People Tech. Doug, thanks for joining me. Tell me about this project. Sure. Um, so, really, uh, original content. It's almost, I think, actually, yeah, coming up uh, in just a couple of weeks will be my three-year anniversary with with Cornerstone, and was really um, Cornerstone up till up till three years ago was just. Um, Distributing content, um, reselling content from partner from our partners, and then I joined the team, um, and basically that was the that was the beginning of original content. A couple of months later, we uh, acquired Grovo, and so then we had a full fledged um, between um, my joining on the original content side and then the acquisition of Grovo, which essentially is original content as well. Um, that was the the beginning um, of of the of the rocket ship that we've been on ever since. <laughs> Ever since just about three years ago, and it's funny because you mentioned just a second ago about the um, the the um, acquisition, and I feel like it's been I've been <laughs> we've been busy up in the, the whole time, anyways. So I feel like it's uh, we have a, a our biggest production next week. So if I seem even remotely uh, scattered on this call, it's because we have a very big cast, and we're shooting here in LA next week, and the um, pandemic or the COVID is not doing us any favors. Let me say. <laughs> Let me tell you. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's been, it's been three years. And really the, the intent of, of, of our original content um, in conjunction with um, our subscriptions was to have, um, you know, exclusive, original, innovative content to uh, uh, supplement and augment the content that we're getting from all of our partners um, to make the, the our subscriptions very, as well-rounded and as attractive and um, as engaging as they possibly could be. You know, I was looking through some of your previews and, and such, and what was going through my head was this, wow, these guys aren't screwing around. I mean, it's, it, 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 you know, it's really good production values and, you know, and all of these things that you don't always see, you know, in, in corporate learning or corporate video. Where does, where does that kind of commitment come from? Um, well, first off, thank you for saying that. I'm glad that, <laughs> I'm glad that that was your takeaway. That's great. You know, it's funny because when I when I joined, I remember the the first conversation with this uh, um, our CEO at the time, Adam Miller, and coming in and being like, "Wow, there's so much opportunity here," and learning more about Cornerstone. I came from outside the the uh, the the industry, HR, HCM, learning all of it. And my background was and media licensing and before that um, in entertainment. And so I came into this from a very like, wow, you have a giant customer base. You're, you're this opportunity to create content. And, and then uh, very, uh, I guess, um, serendipitously joined Cornerstone. And then when I started to really dive into content, I had my own experience with content from previous and employers and stuff and watching you know the things that we had to do and then professional development content as well. But watching it and just being like, um, and this wasn't just, this wasn't by uh, overall to comment on what you said. Um, the bar, I think, was kind of surprisingly low 
Um, for me, from my from where I was coming from, um, out of uh, kind of entertainment and more uh, kind of the commercial consumer space, I'm um, looking at content being like, wow, there's a huge opportunity here to um, improve the quality, the fidelity, just the the engagement while still delivering learning content. And so, um, and so that that's that's really what comes in. What came into it was like looking and saying, we can we can we can do better. We can create content that um, engages and learns and um, and reaches employees. And, and one of the big things for me coming in is like, and I remember having this conversation with, with multiple people on our team in, in early days was I was watching, consuming all this content, getting up to speed, looking at um, competitors, looking at our partners, looking at um, a lot of like uh, the content that was really popular on, on YouTube, which is, you know, where people go to find learning content as well. And so looking and being like, um, there's a there's a tremendous opportunity here to um, to like increase the engagement um, engagement by me and like people look watching content and be wow I'm in this it's like we need to start treating um, our our learners as content consumers because that's what they are right um, every single day especially the younger the younger generations we're all consuming content um, at kind of unparalleled rates and I think the streaming uh, services have only uh, facilitated that even beyond YouTube and, and the social media platforms. And so kind of coming at it from that lens is like, well, what's popular? What do people like? What are the formats, the genres, um, the modalities that people are responding to in their personal lives and then trying to bring that in because people don't stop being people when they come to work. They don't transition from being a, uh, an individual who's consuming content on the train to walking through their office doors and expecting like, oh, wow, um, you know, this bar that I had up here, the thing that I like, or the podcast that I'm following, or the um, the show that I'm consuming and, and, and watching on the train and the way to work, all of a sudden drops out the window when I come in and I have this expectation for a really, a really low bar of, of content. You can meet people where they are, and um, there just seems like an immediate opportunity to think, hey, let's think of um, like the, the seesaw back and forth between our um, employees and our, our clients' uh, populations as content consumers um, and, and treat them like that. And so that was like an overarching theme that I think has really permeated our, uh, has been a, like a thread through our um, development and even, and even I think the influence on, on, on the Grovo content that we produce to really kind of even up the, uh, the quality um, around certain aspects of, of design and storytelling um, while we're still delivering viable learning content. Now, one of the things about Cornerstone and content is you folks seem to take it exceptionally seriously. I mean, I think it was about two years ago, um, the company said content is going to be a cornerstone of our strategy, you know, going forward. Um, you know, other vendors say things like that, but you guys seem to really be putting some money into it and sort of, you know, walking the walk as it were. Where does that come from? How did how did you arrive at this uh, this idea that hey we've got to get the content right if we're going to build the business? Um, I think you know through, through I can I can speak from my my own experience in the conversation that I had and I remember a couple of years ago um, when Heidi Spierge was talking about content. She said you know the thing that's interesting about content. I think this is this has to have been earlier on in her when she when she joined. She said content's like the golden thread that goes through everything that we do, right? Regardless of um, on the software suite, you know, learning, um, development, HR, 
um, all of it, their contents at the contents at its core, and to really look at it from a um, uh, on the surface value, hey, this is professional learning content, but also everything else that it that it can do to perpetuate other areas of the business as well. Because when we start to really look at it, it is everywhere, and it touches every single thing we do, from performance reviews to how to how to have co crucial conversations, and, and thinking of it beyond just like a um, like just a, you know something that's in our um, LMS or PXP uh, to like how does it actually get getting used, and and how can it how can it link to other parts of our um, software suite and everything that we do. Um, and so I think it's just something that felt like a huge, not just a, um, a, a creative and editorial opportunity and a learning opportunity, but also a, an amazing strategic opportunity to, to link it all to link it all together in ways that um, um, we hadn't necessarily done before, or that we didn't see happening from um, the rest of the market or our competitors in the space. Is there a certain slice of, your audience that you're you're going after with these programs. I mean, you know, is it the millennials? Is it you know Gen Z? Or I um, I can tell I can speak to to uh, I can speak to originals and and the content that we've produced thus far. And so the first series that we did, if you're on the website and seen it was was DNA, which was our digital native advancement, and that was certainly geared towards um, towards Gen Z. That came out at the end of 2000. 19. It's so crazy. I was just talking about 2022 and it just still is like dumbfounding to me. Um, but it came out at the end of 2019. And that really was, you know, one of the things we came in and we were ideating on series and topics and the type of content that we needed to um, uh, in the subscriptions to, to uh, appeal to, you know, a, a relatively large um, client base or uh, user base. And it looked like there was a, gen, a big opportunity for Gen Z content, Gen Z themed content, because at that point coming into 2020, um, the stat was at the end of 2020, 20% um, of the workforce will be Gen Z. And that's a super conservative number. Um, that number is actually much higher um, when you go outside of the United States. So there looked like it was an opportunity there. So that series was geared towards Gen Z, but, um, but the content that we created, and I don't know if you've had a chance to to to, to see any of it, any other you know two minute nano learning lessons, mm -hmm. but we wanted to make sure that while we were talking to and using um, Gen Z as essentially a voice and a device to to get into the learning, the content that we were actually creating was relevant to a much larger audience. So talking about hey. I'm new, um, my boss likes to uh, send me emails. I don't understand why she doesn't just Slack or message me. Um, how can I work with her on this? And then create kind of, hey, use email for this, use messages for this, pick up the phone and have a conversation for this. And it was interesting because on that particular lesson, I use that as an example because we got feedback from a lot of um, non-Gen Zers, uh, a lot of uh, boomers and Gen, uh, Gen Xers, if we're thinking kind of generationally, and saying like, wow, that was great. I'm gonna make my whole team watch this. I don't even have any Gen Z people on my team, but those are guidelines for communicating that that we need. So when we created the content and, it, um, and, and we learned that pretty early on, was that we wanted to make the content inclusive for a larger audience than what was um, kind of on the surface and you're thinking about um, um, digital natives. And we didn't even call it, we didn't put Gen Z in the title because digital natives um, is a much broader definition that is inclusive of people who are, uh, who, who either are or fancy themselves as digital natives as opposed to, um, you know, from generation Z. 
you know, there's, there's so much talk now about the importance of learning, especially when it comes in uh, to skills, um, that that's going to be a big pressure on, on employers. Do you think um, this kind of approach that you've been taking, can that get into skills development? I mean, skills learning always strikes me as being really complicated um, because of the, you know, the depth of the subject matter you get into. Can this work for that? Um, I, I think so. It's interesting because so for um, we the first follow up series was the H files and the first season, I say season, I probably shouldn't say that program release of the H files. <laughs> I speak in those terms because it's like um, the first season of H files was for project management was project management based. And and we land on a project management because it was something that we were, you know, um, and this was in, I guess we started working on this in, in early 2020. Um, in terms of content that we saw um, an ongoing ask for from our client base um, and something that uh, was a skill that um, was in you know, many, many a top 10 list as part of the general population. But it wasn't so like, hey, this is project managers for you know, a certified project manager. We need project management content for non-project managers. We need basic principles delivered to project managers in a relatable way that people can understand. So with skills development, like, okay, really a, a top 10 slash best practices from beginning to end of project management. And we put a creative wrapper of the H files around it, around like, look, let's look at project management failures throughout history and approach it from kind of a docu-style that felt more accessible and then tie it back to the learning at the end um, and provide practical um, practical uh, tips as well as um, our activation material, which was offline printed um, companion materials to content that had tips, tricks, um, facilitation guides, uh, documentation, planning docs, that sort of thing. Um, and so that content is meant to be, hey, this is project management for non-project managers we have deeper project management content that follows right after this. We can point you right to a deeper dive into it, but it was almost like an introduction into the subject and an introduction into project management. I mean, for, for someone who's a professional project manager, this would not be the content for them, but for the larger population, uh, it absolutely was. And we have deeper learning. So a lot of the content that we're producing on the original side tease up other content in our subscription. It links back. There's no there's no ending to when we finish a program, whether it's the H files or DNA or empowering minds with with Liggy Web, um, then that we don't like that that's it. Like we tee it up so that there's additional conversation um, or there's a def- additional learning in the subscription to point people people to. It's a it's kind of like the beginning of, of the journey. And as opposed to to the end. So in terms of like skills development, are we going to be creating, um, you know, Python coding content on originals? That wouldn't be something that we would do. That's not like um, that's not our uh, that's not our RMO. RMO is to um, bring people into the subscriptions, create engaging content and send them on a path of discovery um, or additional um, learning that they can that they then can uh, hopefully develop and fine tune their skills. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, it does. It, it actually is a really interesting description of, of how you do it. So thanks. And I just got one more question for you but for now. Um, can you sort of step me through the process, the production process that you go through from the time you settle on a topic? You know, how do you get it put together? How do you get it produced? Sure. So there's a, yeah, there's, <laughs> 
I'll tell you, it's been an iterative process. It's been, it's been, it's been interesting because um, this is our first time meeting, but I have no shortage of, of ideas. Some are really good and some are maybe not so good, but they, they keep coming. Right. And so there's a whole process and, and pretty early on um, when I was getting up to speed and looking like, okay, well, what do we need? What's going to, to resonate? Um, and I was working with an instructional designer at the time when we were looking at kind of like all these ideas that we had and, and topics that we needed to cover and trying to organize it. And we came up with, um, at the time, and, and honestly, Cornerstone, unbeknownst to us, has something else called the same name. So it's it was essentially, we were calling it for internal purposes, our, our innovation index. And so we were looking at criteria around, um, do clients need this? Is it like innovative? Is there, um, are salespeople gonna know how to sell it? Are marketing people gonna know how to, to market it? Is it complex to produce? Is it expensive to produce? And we went through all this kind of criteria with a bunch of questions and created essentially um, this index where we rated different ideas and matched them with, with topics. And if, if it kind of passed that, that piece, then we moved on to true, it was kind of like light research and, um, and you know, uh, more kind of anecdotal um, uh, topic-based working with the strategy team to tell us like, what do we need reaching out to the clients? And if it worked and we thought we were onto something, then it kind of moved to phase two, which was like true research and development. We were going in and doing um, doing lots of research, consulting um, with experts, subject matter experts, um, internally, externally, as the case may be, running focus groups, um, beginning to really dive into like, okay, is there something here? Can we do something different? Um, is this unique? And does it uh, is there is there more meat on the bone than, than we initially thought? If all of that goes well, then we end up, you know, moving into what essentially amounts to our pre-production process. Like, yes, we're going to do this. And in that process too, could be like pilots, um, like a proof of concept. And those could be from like really rough down and dirty POCs to almost a full-fledged, um, like what a lesson would, would, would look like. And so when that all happens, we move into a pre-production process. And then it really comes down to like the program um, in the writing, additional research, all of the instructional design, what's it going to look like? What's it going to feel like? Um, how like, you know, the, the, the technical and editorial aspects, how we're going to produce it. Um, is it live action animated? Um, is it uh, VO, motion graphics? All of the things that go into the pre-production process that get us to the end of that, where we can actually then move into, um, into production. And so depending on what that looks like, you know, if it's an animated series or if it's live action, if it's in a studio, if it's on location, if we're leveraging internal talent, external talent, all of those kind of variables look different. And in the, the series that we've done thus far, it's been a mixture um, of all of those things, particularly like last year with the pandemic and having to kind of course correct the series that we're shooting next week was one that we were getting ready to shoot right before the pandemic. We were four weeks away from production on that. And then the pandemic happened and because it involves people sitting, talking about um, workplace issues, um, we had to we had to scrap it, and we didn't want to do it virtually because it lose a lot of the momentum of, of people sitting um, in front of each other talking through relatively complex and um, nuanced um, issues. So it can look a little bit different. And then post production, lots of review, um, both in terms of the learning. Um, again, more focus groups, having people watch, having clients participate in in early content when and where it, that makes sense, um, and then we deliver it. So. It's a pretty pretty lengthy process. Some goes much faster than others. One series that we were working on and we're super excited about when we got into the focus groups, we realized like, wow, 
this is almost two separate series. There's there's almost like we need to we need to do the intro series before we do the the deep dive series, which is where we were starting because we saw an immediate need for that. And so we kind of course corrected on on that one. Well, we're well into well into the focus group process on that particular program. So it can look a little bit different for for each one. And then when we do additional runs like with DNA, where we've come back and we said, okay, we did our first release, which was all around um, you know, um uh gen uh, Gen Z kind of entering the workforce and you know the interpersonal skills that they needed in order to be successful with their teams, their managers, and then the larger corporate. Um, organization. When we came back and did more of that um, at the beginning of the pandemic, we we're like, wow, we can do more DNA, but let's gear it towards working from home. Let's gear it for how do you do that same, the same interpersonal skills out of the office, all virtual. And so that process went a lot faster because we had already had our framework in place. We did research, um, script writing, casting um, that was, was largely animated or, or heavily relied on pre-existing media assets to, to pull that together. And then, um, and then most recently we did a DNA DEI um, run, which actually took a little bit longer just because we wanted to make sure that we got um, got the learning right. Um, we got into diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging um, and with the overlay of, of DNA, we wanted to make sure that it was authentic and real and we were answering um, questions and uh, providing viable information for, for, for that space. So, and that took a little bit longer than the work from home content. So it looks a little bit different from each one. Doug Seegers, thank you. My guest today has been Doug Seegers, head of original content at Cornerstone On Demand. And this has been People Tech, the podcast of the HCM Technology Report. We're a publication of Recruiting Daily. We're also a part of Evergreen Podcasts. To see all of their programs, visit www.evergreenpodcast.com. And to keep up with HR technology, visit the HCM Technology Report every day. We're the most trusted source of news in the HR tech industry. Find us at www.hcmtechnologyreport.com. I'm Mark Pfeffer. The world's best-known investor and Wall Street expert Warren Buffett once said, Wall Street is the only place that people ride to in a Rolls Royce to get advice from those who take the subway. Mr. Buffett's quote is remarkably accurate, but how many people would rather receive advice from him than someone simply guessing? Welcome to Buy, Hold, Sell, your single source for Wall Street knowledge and profitable guidance. Please join me, Todd Schoenberger, and fellow trader Tobin Smith, as well as host Veronica Dudo, for a podcast known to move the needle for investors. Tobin and I are seasoned Wall Street executives with deep investment experience, and we are prepared to share our advice to those who choose to listen. Download Buy, Hold, Sell today on the Evergreen Podcast Network or your favorite podcast channel. Do you love news about LinkedIn, Indeed, Google, and just about every other recruitment tech company out there? Hell yeah. I'm Chad. I'm Cheese. We're the Chad and Cheese Podcast. All the latest recruiting news and insights are on our show. Dripping in snark and attitude. Subscribe today wherever you listen to your podcasts. We We out. out.